Welcome to The Hollow Point, your source for the latest guns, gear, and gossip, with your host, Rich Nance and Mike Barilla. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Mike Barilla here, as always, with uh, Rich Tactical Plants Nance. Nice. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> this show is going to be a little different. We have a special guest host uh, joining us, uh, Craig Deleuze of the Firearms Policy Coalition. He's the Director of uh, Legislative and Public Affairs there. Welcome, uh, welcome, Craig. Pleasure to be here, sir. Gentlemen. <laughs> so we're going to do this a little differently. Like I said, we're going to do more of a, um, a show with you on board. This is kind of the, the, the special California edition, if you will. Um, we are kind of in a weird spot in California with all these new uh, California gun laws, some going into effect this January, some next January. Um, so we're going to kind of go over all that stuff. Uh, people outside of California don't turn it off quite yet. Uh, a lot of these laws uh, are basis for laws on uh, in other states. You know, a lot of a lot of state legislature uh, legislators look at California gun laws um, to kind of your next. Yeah, exactly. To to build off of in other states. So don't don't go away quite yet. Um, so welcome, Craig. Let's let's kind of just uh, jump right into it as far as some of the new California uh, gun laws. You know. Uh, one of the, the big topics this year uh, with the ballot proposition and SB 1235, I think it was, uh, the ammunition. Yeah. Ammunition was really targeted this time around. So let's talk a little bit about that. All right. Well, you know, basically what's, what's going on is, is that the, the Bloomberg and the anti, anti-gunners basically have decided, they, they've come to realize that they're having a, a really hard time in the courts dealing with this idea that we have a right to bear arms, right? That you have a right to own uh, a handgun which, or, or a firearm, which, you know, is pretty much what Heller and McDonald both said. Now, the problem is, is that, so what they're saying is, well, okay, well, just because you have that right doesn't necessarily mean you have the right to buy ammunition or to have ammunition. It also doesn't mean that you have a right to buy a gun. So a lot of the laws that you're looking at now, a lot of legislation is dealing with ancillary stuff. So in this case, we're talking about ammunition. Um, what there's this idea that they seem to have that they think that, you know, well, by making people, you know, go through a background check in order to purchase ammunition, by making them register Ooh. when they purchase ammunition, yeah, boo. <laughs> <laughs> by doing that, they believe that they're going to, you know, catch criminals. Well, okay, so here's the problem with that. The problem is, is that, you know, criminals generally aren't going to go purchase their ammunition from the store. If they are, they're going to have a straw purchaser go purchase it. But anyway, so to break it down, AB, uh, SB 1235 and Proposition 63 both had uh, some form of ammunition registry on it. Now, uh, SB uh, 1235, basically, and that was the, the, the bill that was, that was passed in the legislature. It basically said that every single time you go to purchase ammunition, uh, you have to pay $5 in order to do a background check. Now, it's supposed to be an instant background check. I, I Nothing's instant in California. Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. They, they, they have yet to explain to us, okay, you, you claim you can't do an instant background check for firearms, but somehow you're going to be able to do an instant background check on ammunition. Miraculous. And there are a lot more ammunition purchases every year than there are firearms purchases. So. You know, and, and Mike, you being a gun dealer, you know, or you owning a gun store, you know uh, how long and arduous a process it is. And now somehow they're going to figure out how to do it instantly. So that's the 
the SB twelve thirty five version. Now the the Prop sixty three version says, well, you're gonna you're gonna basically have to apply to get a license, right, a permit in order to be able to purchase ammunition. You have to pay fifty dollars, go through this background check every every uh, 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 four years, and then you're gonna then you'll go and you then when you go buy, you'll have to have this particular permit. Now, once again, they're saying that that they'll pull up the permit. Once again, it'll be an instant background check, which they've yet to still verify exactly how that's going to work. Yeah. So th- those are kind of the two versions. Now, 1235 was written in such a way that supposedly it preempted the initiative, meaning if the initiative passed, then 1235 would become law. Um, we don't know which is going to take place. So right now, all we know is there's going to be some sort of of an ammunition registry. Uh, we don't know exactly what that's going to be. Cart before the horse again. California's famous for that. Always, right? Exactly. Exactly. They, they, don't, they don't know what they're going to do, but they know they're going to do it. Now, this is 2018, right? Yes, 2018. Um, now, the other, the other thing is, is that it's going to require, in order to transfer ammunition or to sell ammunition, you're going uh, to have to get a permit as well. And... Uh, Craig, does this mean no more like purchasing, you know, uh, shotgun shells from out of state for hunting and things like that? Yeah, any ammunition that you purchase out of state, first off, you purchase it online. You can purchase online, but it has to come to an FFA. It has to come to someone who's got a license in the state of California, once again, so that they can do the background check. So no, no more direct purchases. Yeah, then there'll be no. more fees. So you're getting a smoking deal by ordering it online, but not anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the other the other challenge is going to create once again is so let's say you're coming in from out of the other thing is so if you go out of state and hunt yes like you go you go out of state you're not allowed to bring any of that ammunition back into the state. That's crazy. Now how um, yeah. you you also can't drive over the 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 border and and purchase in Nevada or right. wherever else. Um, obviously now from a from an enforcement standpoint you know Rich being law enforcement and uh, how. How do you see this being enforced? Um, well, I don't. I don't see it being enforced. What I see, well, here's here's how I see it being enforced. If you get pulled over, if you wind up in an interaction with a law enforcement with law enforcement, um, that's when they are in fact going probably going to enforce it. Unless they're going to have people sitting there at the border checking cars for out of state ammunition, um, I don't exactly see how exactly they're going to enforce it. Now, how does this differ from? Uh that's oh, not on top of my head right now. Nine, whatever it was, uh, that got overturned in the courts. Well, what got overturned in the court had to do with the definition, uh, specifically had to do with handgun the definition ammo. of handgun ammo. Um, and and that was the real challenge. And, and and so both of these measures were written in a way that, that would not necessarily fall under that same, that same issue. Does the Commerce Clause not protect this kind of stuff? Um, I would think that it would, but th- that's more dis- more something for the courts to decide. The, the, the challenge with politicians, in particular in the California legislature, they don't really care about what's legal. Le- legal has nothing to do with it. Can I do it? Can I not do it? And in the yeah. California legislature, it's the, the rule of— uh, Mr. Leland Yee will probably agree with that one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's whatever they can get away with. And, you know, in California, they can get away with a lot. So you do see some kind of court challenge here uh, soon, whether it be from you know whatever group that that challenges it. Once we know, once we know what it looks like, and once the regs have been put in place, that's going to give us the opportunity in order to be able to take a look at okay, what are the opportunities to challenge this thing in court? 
Unfortunately, with a lot of these things, it'd be nice if we could preemptively challenge them. Uh, but the fact is, is that it actually has to be put in place. Uh, there has to be a plaintiff. Someone has to be, quote unquote, be injured uh, in order for us to move forward, uh, move forward in the courts. And, and as, as you know, that's a, that's a long process. I know that very well. <laughs> um, so I'd say, I mean, that, that's a pretty successful infringement um, by California. You know, the now, as far as out of state, other states, um, I'm sure, are looking at, at, at things like this. Do you know of any other states that have similar restrictions? Um, no. One of the things that actually we're starting to see that, that's happening is, uh, is ammunition taxes. Uh, Seattle had uh, one, right? Seattle, the city of Seattle has one. Uh, Cook County in, uh, in Illinois, they've had a, a $25 per, per handgun tax. Uh, they're now looking to expand that to include an ammunition tax. Um, those are actually a little more, a little more prevalent. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, and I, by the way, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that, uh, come up in, in the California legislature. Okay. Um, let's see here. So, so that, that covers, you know, ammunition. The other, the other big, uh, attack point, I guess nowadays are so-called, you know, assault weapons. Uh, you know, California has had one form or another of an assault weapons ban, um, predating, I believe the, the federal ban and then, you know, postdating it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, what are, you know, just so people out there know, you know, California has, the, the way that we sell, you know, AR-type rifles now is what's called a bullet button, which makes it a, a per the old law, a non-detachable magazine where you have to use a tool to drop the magazine. But other than that, in the 10-round magazines, the rifle's pretty much the same as anywhere else. Um, so what are, the, what are the, some of the new assault weapons laws that are, that are going into effect? Well, I think, I think two things. One has to do with magazine size. So basically... Uh, it's all. It's always been uh, illegal to buy or sell. I won't say always, but it's been for a few years now. It's been illegal to buy or sell uh, magazines that have, yeah, may, oh yeah, or manufacture magazines that that can hold more than ten rounds, or or what I like to call standard capacity exactly. magazines. Um, but now it's illegal to even possess them. Meaning, if you had one that you purchased twenty years ago or that you got twenty years ago. Uh, Simply possessing it now is a crime. No more grandfather uh, clause. Yes, no more grandfather clause. And, and here's the thing: it was an it was an infraction under the bill that passed in the legislature. Under the initiative, it's now a misdemeanor. So now it's it's now it's an it's it's an actual crime. Before what's, it was just you, you it was a penalty. What's crazy now, is I mean, this is something that you already possess. This is your property, and now you're required to what, Craig? Uh, turn it into law enforcement or sell? It? I mean, wh who are you going to sell it well, to? Exactly. They're like, well, you can just turn around and sell. It. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Why would a why would a why would an FFL buy it when they can't sell it? Sure. It, yeah, it, it would make nothing. absolutely no sense. With and you know the thing is, is they've instituted this before in LA. Uh, and and to date, no one can record. There's not one recorded incident of somebody turning theirs in. <laughs> <laughs> so they, if you went down to the police department, they'd wonder, well, there's no protocol for this. We have no idea how to help you. Yeah, like, I'm gonna walk into. I, I'm going to walk into a, a police station with a bag full of of of, mag of, uh, uh, of standard capacity magazines. That that just sounds like a recipe for disaster to me. <laughs> so, you know, I guess on that one, the question I always get is, how is that not a takings issue? 
Well, and that's that that's our argument as well. And so, you know, obviously, once again, this is something that's going to probably wind up being litigated. Um, but it, it, it's definitely a takings issue. But they don't see it that way because we're not taking anything that we're not taking anything from them. So they don't really care. Um, you know, the other aspect of it has to once again has to do with the the elimination of the bullet button. Uh, and I and I love how they do this. They they call it a, they call the bullet button a loophole, right? The funny part is is that they actually wrote into the regs. It was a conscious decision in the regs to actually allow you to be able to use a bullet as a tool to define a bullet as a tool in order to be able to remove in order to be able to remove the magazine. So it, it wasn't a question of oh we found a loophole. It was a question of we're following your we're regulations. Complying, exactly, we're complying with the law. See, anytime you comply with a law that they don't like, it, they call it a loophole. So now they've 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 eliminated that. So now, uh, you know, there there's no more. There's going to be no more bullet button um, until the regs come out. We're really not going to know exactly what our options are. Obviously, folks will be able to go featureless. Yeah, the main uh, question right now is when this passes. If I register my rifle, can I take the bullet button off and put on the standard release? And I mean, Craig, you're the expert on this, but my feeling would be, if not, then why? What's the benefit of featureless other than not having to register as an assault weapon? But to me, that's the big selling point of a featureless AR is that you don't have to have the bullet button. Right. Well, exactly. And, and you know, the, the other thing is, is that is, you know, when you when you go to register, my question is, so let's say, I, they, by the way, the other way, the other thing is, is that there are a number of potential, uh, uh, we'll call them workarounds uh, that have been proposed. We won't know which of those workarounds actually work. Or actually, will be in compliance until we see exactly what the regs look like. The one thing we know is this: this is the what the third time they've they've, they've banned ARs. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, is that for every for every bill that they come up with, there's probably you know half a million guys sitting around a workbench with beer who will come up with <laughs> who will come up with a way in which to address it. Um, so, I mean, there's already a number of, of potential workarounds that are that are being floated out there. We don't know which ones are gonna are, are actually gonna be in compliance. Yeah, you know, there was so, also rumors that they were gonna somehow work a, a featureless ban into into the regs somehow. You know, all that that kind of stuff. I don't know how. Obviously, we don't have the regs yet, and knowing DOJ, it'll be December 31st before we do. Right. It, exactly. And and you know, the, the fact is is that most of these are folks who don't know. They don't know the technology the way that uh, the way that those who do support the Second Amendment know the technology. So it's going to be real interesting to see exactly what they do. Chances are they're going to overreach, uh, and when they overreach, that's uh, that's that's when we call on the lawyers uh, to to step exactly. up. Exactly. You know, I know a lot of people that are celebrating. Oh, I'm going to register it. I'm going to take off the bullet button. Well, we don't know that that's the case yet. I always tell people to kind of. Relax, you know, to to slow down on that. We have to see what the regs are to to see how that uh, how that impacts what you can and can't do. You know? Right, and you know, co- you know, common sense would tell you that okay, well, yeah, if if it's now an assault weapon, well, then I might as well do all. I might as well make it the most assaulty weapon possible. Most assaulty weapon possible, exactly. I'm going to take all those ugly, nasty things that they don't like, and might as well put them on there. And then what are they going to do? I mean, but but here's the other thing, and this is the thing that I, I tell you, you know, at this point, you know, the big challenge is going to be this, and and, I, and I'm hearing this from people all over, people who are normally law-abiding citizens who believe in, you know, following the rule of law and all of that. A lot of folks are getting to the point where they're like, you know what, 
What are they going to do? I'm just, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, why bother complying with a law that is so far reaching and so uh, onerous? It's so cumbersome and it's so confusing that right. I've been a police officer for 20 years in California and it's confusing to me. I'm oftentimes calling Mike, hey man, what, what's the deal on this? Is this legal? Is this not legal? And I'm sort of a gun guy. I mean, it, so imagine. Sort of. You're, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> don't tell the people at Guns and Ammo that. <laughs> so imagine, <laughs> imagine. You know, the average cop who's trying diligently to, to to enforce these laws, even though he may or may not agree with them. But in other words, cops who make their living enforcing laws are not even familiar with the laws or not even uh, fully understanding of the laws because they're so confusing, uh, so confusing. And there's so many of them. How can you hold the average citizen, uh, law abiding citizen uh, accountable for knowing uh, knowing their way around these very confusing and very cumbersome gun laws? What, it, it, exactly. The, the, the thing is, is the people who are writing these laws, they don't know the law. That, that's what's so odd. That's what or guns. people really don't get. They don't know the law. They don't know guns. They don't know the gun industry. And they really don't care to know because they don't like guns and they don't like people who like guns. It's just I mean, California is famous for that, even when it comes to, you know, business ownership or whatever. Um, so much red tape that it just makes people not want to be here, not want to do business here. It makes uh, firearms manufacturers, even though California is like, what, roughly one tenth of all the firearms that are sold throughout the country. Many manufacturers, as you guys well know, they just don't want to deal with California because California makes it so hard to deal with. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly, and you know they're 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 happy not to. Now the the, the interesting thing is is that it'd be nice if so, if even some manufacturers would just say to uh, state of California, a number of municipalities, hey, you know what? If you're not if you're going to be if you're going to institute laws that work against our industry, then you know what? We're not going to sell to you. Sure, and and I run into that sometimes, and I understand it that as a police officer, I'm exempt from the California approved handgun right. roster, but manufacturers, they just don't want to open that can of worms by sending something to me for, to review or whatever, even though I am a police officer. And quite frankly, as a police officer, I do believe that um, the average uh, legally armed citizen should be able to possess the same types of pistols or whatever that I, that I can. I mean, and, it, and it's absolutely r ridiculous. We were filming something once for Guns and Ammo TV. This was in 2010, I think. And the Ruger SR9C was just out. And they mm -hmm. wanted to ship one of them to Mike so that we could, uh, so that we can use it for the show. But literally, the only difference between the one that we could legally get in and the one that they had on hand was the finish. Same model, same caliber, but one finish was, was legal to have here and one was not. I mean, how do you explain that to someone from another state? Uh, only, only we understand this nonsense. Well, you try to explain that to someone in the California legislature. People who believe, people who voted for this stuff will sit there and be like, Wow, that doesn't make sense. Like, no, it doesn't. But but this is what you voted sure. for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, that kind of brings us to another point I had today, as far as uh, motivations behind some of this stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people quote the the it's for the children kind of thing, which um, you know, in my opinion, is just complete crap. Uh, <laughs> I believe the children are our future. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Um, so, I mean, what are some of these motivations? Do you think? <laughs> okay, there, there. I, I would put them kind of in three different camps. There are those who honestly believe that they're doing a good thing. That 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 they think, hey, you know, by reducing the number of guns or by getting rid of guns, we can, you know, we're reducing guns. But they really believe that they're that they're making a difference. They don't know enough about either the law or the technology to really 
be able to effectively do a difference. So sometimes it's a matter of educating them. And even then, once you educate them, they, they don't, they're like, well, it just sounds good. And they believe in the intent of what they want to do is what really matters, not what the bill actually does. Not the practicality, so that, yeah. Right. There's that group. There's There are the people who are looking to get uh, to build some notoriety and get their, their get their names out there. Um, uh, I, the Gavin Newsom comes to mind. Um, these are people who, you know, they don't really care about guns one way or the other, but they know that it's a hot button issue and they know that by doing something in it, they know they'll get their names in the paper. They know that they'll get some notoriety. Once again, they don't really know a lot about the topic. They don't really know a lot about the subject. They don't know the technology. All they know is they're in the majority, so they can pretty much do what they want. What, what pisses me off about that, and I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, is that these guys oftentimes are exempt from the from the requirements that the average citizen is as far as some of these anti-gun uh, legislators. Of course, they have concealed carry permits. None of us can get them. Or they have armed guards and things like that to protect their families. So explain to the average citizen how this person being a government official, how their family is worth more than the family of the common citizen who can't have a firearm to protect their family. It's just, there's no explaining that there's, there's no rationale that makes sense for that. Well, when, when you are part of the quote unquote privileged elite, um, yeah, you know, you get, you, you get special rights, you get special favors, you know, you're, you're politically connected. You know, you have some counties uh, in California, where you, you literally, if you don't know the sheriff, if you aren't a, a campaign contributor, you have absolutely no possibility of getting a concealed carry permit. Yeah, there's no um, reason good enough that you can give that would justify Some that. don't even have a process to apply for one. Oh, exactly. Just for some, there's not even a process. It's it, well, The process is, do you know the sheriff? No. You know, does the sheriff like you? <laughs> and that's pretty much the process. Are you related to the sheriff? <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, it's funny. There's some people who believe that, well, only only law enforcement need needs to have firearms. And what they don't understand is if you took if you took firearms away from every law abiding citizen, guess what? Criminals would still have guns. Absolutely. And now what you've done is is now you've created a state of of victims, the purge. And, you know, you know, (laughs) we've seen more often than we would like active shooter incidents. Active shooter incidents, gun-free zones. I mean, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but it's just you can't regulate guns out of criminals' hands. So the no. best you can do is to equip and educate the common citizenry to be able to interject because the police aren't going to be there immediately. The average police response time, uh, response time to an active shooter incident is minutes. I, I forget uh, the exact number of minutes now, but oftentimes the event is over before there's this... Um, mass of police officers on scene you know it's not like we're going to have a SWAT team on scene to immediately solve this problem it's going to be if it's a school oftentimes it's a school resource officer who single-handedly is uh, taking care of business or you know in states or or counties where uh, concealed carry is is more prevalent it's oftentimes uh, a concealed carry holder and sometimes even unarmed citizens that join together they're able to resolve the problem well you know you are your own first responder period you are in the best position to be able to defend and protect your family and property. You know, I, and this is, you know, I have all the respect in the world for law enforcement, but mostly their job is not to prevent crime. It is to 
It is to find out the is to capture the perpetrators of crime and make sure they're brought to justice. And by nature, that, that's their job. Absolutely, Craig. And by nature, it's reactive. And here's the thing: there, there's something called the Ferguson effect, which is kind of a way to explain the increase in murder in major cities in this country for the first time in in many many years. And, and a lot of that has to do with police officers being hesitant, being less proactive, because let's face it, they don't want their potential use of force to be on the 11 o'clock news. Um, right. It's going to be filmed, not if not by their own body camera, by other citizens. And, and in the society that we live in, you know, the false narrative happens very quickly. And by the time the, the truth comes out, this, this officer oftentimes who made, quite frankly, no uh, moral or legal errors is uh, he, he's demonized. And, and so it's not that a police officer doesn't want to be there in your time of need. It's that because of the state that we're in, the way that society is, officers are becoming less proactive, and that's very emboldening for criminals. They know that they're not going to get stopped as often, especially in certain areas, or depending on uh, you know, the, uh, the ethnicity, that could be an issue as well. And so officers are less proactive, which means they're more reactive, which means they're less apt to nip crime in the bud, and they're going to be coming to it after it's already happened, like you, like you explained, Craig. They're going to be mopping up the mess. They're going to be looking for, for ways to solve a crime that they couldn't prevent uh, maybe it would have been preventable had they been more proactive, but this is the state we're in. It, you just you just hit the nail on the head, and and people have to understand that's that's the impact of what they're of what they're doing. Um, Which I, is you know I don't more know. dangerous I, for everybody. I mean, I mean, you do that, yeah. it's yeah. more dangerous for everybody. And the media and and Twitter and everything don't help. You know, a lot of times there's already a you know some if there is a use of force event, there's there's already a protest. You know, before. The, the officer can even get back to the station. Right. And, and that, you know, that's part of it is, is, you know, we're, we're, we used to be a society where you, it's based on, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Well, in public opinion, you're guilty till proven innocent. Absolutely. It's all a matter of who can get their narrative out first. Exactly. Right? You just dude, look at Michael, look at the whole Michael Brown situation. Sure. You know, more the more information that came out about that whole thing, you come to realize that one, he was not an innocent victim. Um, you realize that you know the officer was basically was fighting for his life. Yeah, the hands up, don't shoot was pure fiction. But by the time that was that was out, um, right. it, it was a nationwide phenomenon. I mean, you had sports teams, you know, uh, on the field uh, with the hands up, uh, don't shoot banter, and that and it was completely fictitious and they don't and they and they don't care once they hear the truth well the, the, i'm sorry the truth doesn't fit the narrative so sure. yeah, we're, we're going to ignore the truth because the narrative is well i've already stated the narrative sure and and that's that's the other part man is you, you're dealing with a lot of people just people don't like to be wrong people don't like to admit that they're wrong and it's there's nothing worse than being for me sometimes than being there in a hearing room uh, talking on an issue, and and I know the member doesn't know what they're talking about. I know that I've just exposed the the fallacies and the faults with their legislation, and they don't care. Yeah, yeah. they go right back to what Mike you said earlier. But but they're, they're killing children. Yeah, and and that's their that's their argument. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I just it is infuriating because the truth doesn't matter in the creation of law anymore. And, and that's, that, that's a tough thing to deal with. 
Um, you know, I always tell folks this, and this is the probably the biggest challenge. Is you know, the problem is, is that you know, here it is. We're we're trying to ask members of the California legislature, who mostly are anti-gun, to actually you know come up with some to, to actually support our constitutional right to keep and bear arms. They don't believe in it, and yeah. so the only option that we have is to replace them. Well, you know, you're in Tracy, right? Tracy, you guys have good, uh, you guys have good legislators. Right. You did your job. The challenge we have now is, is that we have to be willing to go outside of our communities and work to help elect people in the district next to us, north, south, east and west, until we have people who actually do support, uh, you know, our constitutional right to keep and bear arms. I mean, along those lines, Craig, maybe you can talk to how California is kind of a trendsetter with a lot of this stuff and. I think you've touched on this earlier, Mike. Maybe I was asleep. <laughs> but um, when when we get this negative gun laws, uh, these negative gun laws um, thrust upon us, it's not uncommon for other states to have similar negative laws. Well, correct? look at Nevada this time around with the the universal background check thing. Oh yeah, no. It, it, the the folks in Washington and Oregon have made. I mean, the anti gun community made it clear they want to build what they call a West Coast Wall of gun control. They want Nevada, they want California, uh, Oregon, Washington, and they're even pushing into Arizona and Colorado to try and create this wall along the west coast of anti-gun. And and they're Good doing luck in it Arizona. so well. They're doing it so insidiously. The first thing they're doing is is that first of all they're hiring these PR firms and they're dropping big cash on them. These PR firms are polling to find out what's the, where's the camel no, camel's nose that can get under the tent, mm-hmm. and so they're looking, they're looking, they're looking, and they're finding off these opportunities, and that's where they're going first. Then after that, they're building, they're working in the media to build these narratives to create these stories. Like you guys have seen all the stories about oh the rash of robberies of gun stores, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So I know, I know that one firsthand. Right. But, but it's still only that the number of firearms that have been stolen from California gun stores is like 400 in the last like two or three years. Right. Total 400 out of 70,000 stolen firearms. It's it. The, I it's think there's more law enforcement stolen guns. Right. And exactly. But but here's the thing. The reason why they're pushing that narrative is now watch. I bet you dollars to donuts. You're going to see legislation that's going to deal with it. Once again, they're creating a narrative in the media so that they can get a groundswell, so that then they can get the legislation. That's how they're. That's how they're doing it, and we have to be conscious of that, and we have to work to push against that narrative. Now, stepping back a little bit, I mean, I guess this is the perfect time. Um, you know, what what does Firearms Policy Coalition do to try to help some of these the, these situations out? Well, the first thing uh, the first thing is is that we. Uh, you know, we realize that that communication is a big key, you know, making sure that people know the facts, that they know the truth. So a big part of what we're doing, and if you if you follow us on YouTube, on Twitter, on, on Facebook, uh, you know, we're, we do a lot in the area of, of video, of, of providing news and information to helping people understand issues. And we and, and no doubt we're, we're not we, we're not uh, like the media. We provide it from a perspective that supports the Second Amendment and help people understand what's help people understand what's going on, not just legislatively, but what's going on in local communities, what's going on in relation to firearms. So so that's the first thing is one, educating people, helping people to know exactly what's going on. 
the other thing that we do is 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 working in the California state legislature. We have a traditional lobbying program. I I, I get to go over and you know, for lack of a better term, I get I get get to to jump in the mud with the pigs, and uh, get dirty. You know, I I trust me. I I, I have to shower every every <laughs> every time I leave that building. Yeah. But um, but it's an opportunity to go and to get to meet legislators and staffers. And really, a big part of it is helping them to understand why some of this stuff is just a bad idea. Because, you know, a lot in a lot of cases, we can actually we've been successful in actually keeping bad ideas from even being proposed simply by sitting down and talking with some of these members. Some of them, like I said, they just want to do something good. And so by educating them on why what they're proposing is a bad idea, some of them, you can keep them from doing some of this stuff. And and those are the victories that you don't see um, that you don't you know, you don't see. They don't make the news. You don't hear about. Yeah. Exactly. You don't hear Preventing, about those. Yeah, big things before they happen. Exactly. There are easily half a dozen to a dozen bills that never became that never became bills because of the work that we were able to do. Just once again, meeting and talking with legislators and staffers, and really helping them to understand why some of the stuff they were proposing was a bad idea. That's interesting, um, Craig. I think sometimes people are frustrated and they think, well, you know, we have so many bad gun laws. What's the point? What's the point of continuing to fight it? But I mean, as you just said, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that the average citizen may not be privy to that organizations like Firearms Policy Coalition are fighting to protect. Well, exactly. And and here's the thing for people. And yeah, California is probably worse than most other states. But here's the thing. I, I, I still I still legally own firearms. And and let me tell you, if if we stop fighting if we stop the fight, that will not always be the case. Sure. So as bad as it is, trust me, it can get worse. And we're here to make sure that that, that doesn't happen. Now, the other thing that we do, not just legislatively, not just working in the legislature trying to kill bills. And, and by the way, the great part about now merging the communications and the traditional lobbying, you know, when we put together a fire mission, you know, we let people know, hey, look, this bill is coming up, but we're going to be meeting with this particular legislator. Here's their phone number. Here's their fax number. Call them, email them, let them know how you feel. And I'll tell you, the folks have absolutely no idea how big a difference that makes. I had, I had, one, uh, I had one office that I walked into, and you could see people are scurrying around because people are answering phones. And the receptionist says, gets off the phone and says, I apologize. You know, someone has a, a, a phone bank out there. <laughs> Again, I said, oh, well, what are they calling on? Uh, I said, who's calling? He said, oh, I think it's the, the NRA. I said, oh, what bill? I said, uh, 2607. That was the, uh, what was that? The, the gun violence restraining. I said, oh, no, they're calling from the Firearms Policy Coalition. <laughs> like, no, I'm pretty sure it's the NRA. No, it's the Firearms Policy Coalition. <laughs> oh, well, how did you know that? I Craig Deleuze with the fire. <laughs> all of a sudden now, I'm walking in and, and they're in, they know what I'm there to meet. All of a sudden now, they're familiar with the bill. Keep in mind, they, there are a couple of thousand, several thousand bills that are introduced every session. And so to, for them to be able to know and to be alert and to know what's going on, like I said, for people who are not paying attention, all of a sudden they're paying attention. If for no other reason, then they can't get their work done because people are calling. Every call so, helps, huh? Every single one. And we, we, we try to make it real easy. We provide a video explaining this is what's going on. This is what you need to do. Boom, boom, boom. In and out. We have maybe a list of three or four people we want you to call. 
takes people on average maybe about five, 10 minutes, and they're done. But what they've done is they've made a significant difference in the, in, in the fight. Sure. You know, they've, they've opened a door. There was one bill that we were able to kill, uh, a, uh, AB 2459. This is a bill that would have made it, I mean, required insurance, uh, crazy liability insurance uh, for gun dealers. Uh, would require them to have to have video cameras everywhere there was firearms or ammunition. I mean, and store it for five years on site. It would have gotten rid of all home FFLs. There was one, the one member, I won't say his name, but he basically said, look, you know, I got like 2,000, you know, emails and phone calls on this one issue alone. And that made him pay attention and got him to help change his vote. So it makes a difference. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then, then in the end, the, the last thing is we take, we take folks to court. Once it gets, once it becomes law, we deem that it's unconstitutional. We find there's an opportunity. We take them to court. And, and that's really where some of our biggest victories are coming. Yeah. So, um, talk about a couple of the, the cases we have in, uh, in, or we, <laughs> you have in the works right now. Well, let's talk about your case, Tracy rifle and pistol, uh, versus Harris. Now, this is an interesting one because Back in the, the 1920s, they passed a law that basically said you cannot have an advertisement, a, a picture of a handgun uh, either on the outside of your building or, or seen from the outside of your building uh, for an advertisement. Well, some, uh, some Yahoo down there in Tracy decided <laughs> he was going to put a picture of a handgun on the outside of his building, I think you might know the guy. <laughs> I might. <laughs> Can't confirm or deny that. Um, For everybody listening, cited. that was me. <laughs> yes, yes, that was him. But got cited by DOJ, and so now we're taking him to court. Um, because he, right, the, the funny part of it, right next to it is a picture of an AR. And that's totally fine. <laughs> I could put a bazooka on the building, it'd be totally fine. Exactly, but not a, but not a handgun. And, you know, that's an important case because, you know, and then this is all part of free speech. Like one of the ways in which they're trying to deny us our, our, our Second Amendment right is by limiting our ability to communicate about it or by violating our First Amendment rights. Um, so this is a case where we're just saying, look, you know what? Under Businesses have a right to free speech. And not only do businesses have a right to free speech, but, you know, especially when it's when we're talking we're not talking about anything that is obscene we're talking about constitutionally protected items basically exactly you're facilitating that you're facilitating people's access to their second amendment rights so um that's one case uh that's one case that we're dealing with another one is uh texera versus the county of alameda now there's a, a basically a guy who he had owned a gun store for 30 years, decided he had retired. Then him and some friends decided, you know what? I'm tired of retirement. Let's open a gun store, right? A good way to you know, lose a lot of money. A gun store. <laughs> exactly. Well, but they decided, so they went through the process and come to find out that under the regs, that under the, the, the zoning ordinances there in Alameda County, there was no place within the county where you could open a gun store because you weren't allowed to be, the building couldn't be within 500 feet of of any uh residences or any schools or anything like that and there was literally no place in the county where you could locate a store that was not in compliance now stores that were already in existence were grandfathered in but what that means is is that so let's say a store loses their lease right well now they just have to move across the street well 
They can't. They can't. They can't. They not only can they not move, they can't move anywhere in the county. Yeah. They'd have to move. They literally would have to move their business out of the county uh, if that were the case. So basically, you know, we're suing basically saying, look, it, you have to be. We we went to court basically saying, look, you, you there is no Second Amendment right. If you don't have a right to be able to purchase a firearm, how can you ever how can you have a right to own one? How do you get one? How do you exercise that right? Um and so basically the county of, Calum, of, of, uh, of Alameda asked to have it dismissed. The, the district court judge said, yeah, they really don't have a case. Took it to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit said, no, you have to answer this case. You, 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 how can you – once again, how can you have a right to keep and bear arms if you don't have the right to actually be able to buy and, buy and sell arms? Um, so that's another case, uh, another case, another case that, uh, that we're dealing with right now. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. We, you know, we've also gotten into some other free speech cases. Uh, we have one. Uh, it's uh, uh, Publius uh, versus Diane Boyer Vine or the California Legislative Council. Uh, uh, Publius uh, is a pseudonym for a member or members of the Firearm Policy Coalition uh, who created this thing. They were so frustrated with all of the bills that were passed in the law. They created a tyrant registry. They said these these are the members and these are their phone numbers and home addresses of the members who voted for this stuff. Well, the legislative council, who's the attorney for the California legislature, they sent a letter to uh, WordPress telling them you have to take this stuff down. And so they did. And so now we're suing them uh, because basically we believe, look, it, 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 first of all, you it's work for us. You, you want to put us on a list. For exercising our constitutional rights, but you don't want to be put on a list. Yeah, no, no, that's not going to fly. Um, so, you know, but we're standing up because once again, if they can shut us up, they believe that they can shut us down by shutting us up. And so we're not going to allow either one to happen. So those are just some examples of some of the cases that we're, that we're dealing with right now. Now, with the, uh, with the election, the way it's going, um, can Trump save California? All right. Here's what I tell folks. The number one thing that Donald Trump can do is appoint good Supreme Court justices, period. Or not just Supreme Court, but but also at the appellate court level. Good federal judges. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. If you look at Trump's history and the things that he said in the past, he's been on both sides of this issue. And many uh, other issues. Exactly. Um, but I believe that at least initially, I believe at least initially that first judge will be a good one. I, I make no. I don't know about anything after that. But the number one thing is is making sure that that we're getting justices who know what the job of a justice is, which is to interpret law as it pertains to the Constitution. To look at the Constitution, interpret the comp Constitution based on what the founders believed at the time. These are the originalists they call them, uh, like uh, Scalia was, and not to rewrite the law. You know, you have people who are on the court now, people who believe, well, it's our job to rewrite the law. No, that's what the legislature does. That's not the court's job. So if we get good judges, um, I believe that's the best thing uh, that Donald Trump can do. I, right now, I already believe with the makeup of, of Congress that you're not going to see a lot of. No, uh, I don't imagine any federal legislation laws. moving forward. Um, some of it's going to be in terms of how they're implementing or how they're enforcing the laws. 
uh, as we've seen a number of the things that President Obama has done. You know, he couldn't pass anti-gun legislation, uh, but he, you know, he's done his best to try and use uh, regulations and, and enforcement uh, to uh, to undermine our rights. I don't think that's going to be the case, especially since the the you know one of the things you know you have to look at is it, the gun lobby, in particular, the NRA was the one group that actually stood up, uh, stood up and stood up big uh, uh, for Donald Trump. I don't see him turning his back on that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, how can people help firearms policy, uh, do the coalition, do the work that they do? All right. Uh, there, there's three things I always tell folks they can do. Number one, educate yourself. Go to our website, firearmspolicy.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash gun policy. Educate yourself. Know what's going on. Know what the bills are. Know who the players are. Uh, really help you. Number two, spread the word. Spread the word to folks. Make sure that you're sharing the content that you're seeing, uh, the digital content that you're seeing, the stuff you're seeing online. Make sure you're sharing that information. We try to make it really simple so that people can understand it. Even if you're not uh, uh, gun nuts like us, you still get it. Right. You can still understand what's going on and still be able to make a difference. Um, and the third is contribute, contribute of your time. You know, take when we send out a fire mission, make the calls, take 10 minutes, make those calls. Uh, and, and once again, share that information, you know, and finally contribute. You know, we don't have multi-billionaires on our side like like the, like every town does. Right. We don't have Michael Bloomberg's. We don't have George Soros. You know, organizations like ours exist on small contributions from from individuals who believe in standing up for your rights. I can tell you with the beyond a shadow of a doubt, just about every penny that comes in goes into fighting for people's rights, fighting for our right uh, to keep and bear arms, fighting for our civil liberties. Uh, so, you know what? And we, we do this. And I just I just tell you right now, get on our email list. But I'm gonna tell you right now, we don't always ask you for money, but we always give you an opportunity yeah. to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and every dollar counts. You know, this is a small organization. This isn't, um, yes. you know, uh, the NRA where you know they have such high overheads and buildings and meetings. You know, this is uh, this is a, a ground and pound type organization. We don't have a lot, or we keep saying that like I'm part of it, but, uh, you don't have a lot of, um, of that kind of cost. You know, it's all going into protecting people's second amendment rights. It, it, exactly. Exactly. It is. We are, re, we are what I like to say, a relatively flat organization. There's not a lot of bureaucracy. Um, that, you know, it's, it's just a group of guys who decided we needed, we needed a fight. We needed to be able to fight here on the ground. The NRA is doing their job in, in Washington, DC, uh, we needed to be able to have a group that was here in California or just, you know, whatever state we're fighting. And we need to have people who are on the ground who are fighting the fight because that's what they're doing. They're realizing they can't they can't take our guns at the federal level. So now they're coming state by state. Uh, and it's important for people who know and understand the players. But also, you know what? People who are willing to to get in, get in the fight. I'm not worried about being politically correct. I'm not worried about being nice. I'm like this. I'm gonna tell you the truth, and sometimes the truth is gonna hurt. Um, but we we we've got to be engaged and involved in this fight. And what I what I like most about the Firearms Policy Coalition is the you know the the guys I work with here, man, are they're true believers. You know, this is not just a political job for them. It's not just a job for them. 
they're, they're doing this because they believe in the fight. And I like to say, you know, it's nice because I, not everybody gets a chance to wake up every day and, and fight for something that they believe in. And I get to do that. It's and a the calling. guys here get to do that. Yeah. It it's is, a calling, it is, not just a job. That's awesome. It, it, it yeah. It, calling sickness. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they, they also uh, give you uh, uh, some cool chances to win some, some, some very cool guns, uh, which is cool too. If you sign up for the, the newsletters and all. Exactly. You know, and that's, you know, we do those giveaways as, as kind of a thank you as a way to kind of encourage people uh, what we found is, is that by, by doing that and putting that out there, people will sign up, you know, because, oh yeah, I'm do- going to get this information so that I can get a chance to win this cool gun. But we're getting a lot of people who are staying because they're seeing the information they're seeing the quality of, of the information that's being provided and, and the work that we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why they're staying active. Yeah. So, so I, w- uh, I want to encourage everybody to check out uh, firearmspolicy.org. Um, check out facebook.com slash gun policy. Uh, get involved, you know, especially if you're in California or if you're not, you know, check out your states. Uh, almost every state that I know of has an, has a local organization for uh, Second Amendment rights. Um, so, you know, thank you, Craig. Um, again, as always, check us out at uh, podcast at thehollowpoint.net. Um, you can send us emails. Thehollowpoint.net is our website, THP podcast on Twitter. Um, so, you know, with that, uh, I want to thank you for joining us and, uh, make sure you subscribe on, uh, on iTunes or on uh, Google play and, uh, we'll keep bringing you, bringing you great content like this. Thanks a lot, Craig. All right, gentlemen.